the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Tired of the negative news and flashover substance? It's time for Today with Dr. Wendy. Dr. Wendy Patrick is a trial attorney, patriot, and Ph.D. with a passion for people and a penchant for politics. Dr. Wendy brings you the headlines, streamline, news you can use. It's time to be informed, engaged, and entertained. Now, here's your host, Dr. Wendy Patrick. Good evening and welcome to another edition of Today with Dr. Wendy. I'm Wendy Patrick. My co-host Larry Dersham and I are always so pleased to be with you every Saturday night. And we always talk about, gosh, how do we narrow down all of the fascinating stories of the week? And how do we narrow it down in a way that allows at least half of us, that would be me, to find a silver lining in some of the headlines that we bring you live? Uh, And of course, one of the biggest headlines this week was the Kyle Rittenhouse verdict, the acquittal. And we've been talking about that. We've been breaking it down. And we've been really talking about it in a lot of different contexts. Obviously, the evidence was uh, was huge in terms of uh, explaining the verdict. Um, So were the politics. And when you think about the political atmosphere that occurred outside the courthouse, It's obvious it didn't occur inside. And you know, Larry, one of the takeaways we always have after major trials is that we just celebrate juries that are really deliberating based on the evidence, not based on emotion. And we also applaud all of the efforts we take collectively to protect jurors, to make sure that they can do their jobs in a fashion that is free from political influence, free from fear, from threats, harassment, intimidation tactics, shouting, following, photographing, all the things that we do everything. And I say we, it's usually the judges that are making these orders. But we as a global community, we want trials and wherever they take place to be fair to all concerned. And especially here in America with the jury system, we want jurors to be able to do their jobs uh, and fulfill their civic duty without being afraid of what's going to happen if we render a verdict based on the evidence like they're sworn to do. Oh, 100%. And it was a little bit uh, concerning, I think, that there were protesters out there. Some of them had megaphones. And I know we have freedom of speech, freedom of assembly, but I'm not sure there's a freedom of the megaphone because you could actually hear it, uh, the reports are, inside the courtroom. Although where the jurors were, I understand it was in the library inside the courthouse. I, I'm not sure if they could hear the megaphone uh, fr- from there. But still, uh, that was a little bit concerning for interference on their deliberations. Well, what was interesting about that, Larry, is yes, we did have these reports of the jurors being within earshot of the the chants from outside. But that narrative outside was not based on the evidence inside. And so you're listening to one arm of the court of public opinion. uh, And of course, there were two sides even there. You had both pro and con Kyle Rittenhouse protesters. And, you know, maybe they they were actually quite peaceful, at least initially. Uh, There were obviously some skirmishes. You'll always have that. 
but those weren't people that are, were watching live streams of the trial and were privy to the evidence. And one thing we really want to make sure, no matter who you are, what side you're on, is that jurors reach verdicts based on the evidence. Now, Larry, you and I as lawyers, uh, silence is not golden when you have a jury deliberating. That's agonizing. You wonder, what are they talking about? What are they doing? What are they looking at? Okay, so that is why notes and questions are almost uh, a little bit... Um, you give an, an indication if you're a jury as to not necessarily which way you're leaning, but maybe on what evidence you think is important by the notes and questions you ask and by the evidence you seek to review. So what did you make of the fact that they were actually very quiet for much of the time, except wanting to see that now notorious video that actually caught a lot of the exact moments in question on tape? Yeah, it was... Um... I, I guess one of the concerns was they asked for jury instructions to be brought into the deliberation room, and that concerned some people. They thought, were they going to go to all the dictionaries and look it up and try to uh, find uh, f- find some reason maybe to uh, to do something that that wasn't uh, really the facts didn't support. But um, it, it's just amazing that I think they did a really good job. And then uh, one really interesting thing about this is the. I think the bravery of the jurors to basically take this case, they were not sequestered, which means they weren't put up in a hotel room like I think they did with the O.J. Simpson trial. And so they were allowed to go home. But one really, really concerning thing, there was a freelance reporter who worked for apparently MSNBC who was following the bus. I guess the bus or the van was taking the jurors after that day in court out to possibly where their cars were. And he was caught for running a red light and he admitted that he was following the bus and for possibly IDing the jury, uh, the jury. And uh, that could be very dangerous. If their, their photos were to get out, if their names were to get out and they were be what they call being doxxed where they were, their addresses would be published. So uh, there's a lot of concerning things about the jury, but I thought they did a fantastic job. You know, you bring up a really important point, Larry. Jury anonymity is an important part of the criminal justice process. I mean, it allows panel members to deliberate in a safe environment that is designed to promote that independence, that frank discussion, the the free exchange of ideas without worrying about what's going to happen if I vote a certain way. So any action, you're right, any action that threatens the jury's ability to remain anonymous adversely impacts the process. Now, you saw the judge deal with that incident that you've described very harshly, basically banning MSNBC from the courthouse. Judges are always very careful to take any necessary steps and precautions to protect both the sanctity and the safety of the jury. And that includes imposing restrictions on anyone who's even threatening to expose their identity. And Larry, what we learned during the course of this trial is judges don't have many trials to find out the the truthfulness of the allegations when they're made. They will basically err on the side of caution in doing what they need to do to protect the jurors. I thought it was interesting also, Larry, that they were being transported in a bus. Uh, They weren't sequestered like the Derek Chauvin jurors were during deliberations. Do you remember that? Good point. Which yes. sort of leads to, yeah, which sort of leads to the question of does sequestration, we know it's the last result, but does sequestration help jurors arrive at a verdict more quickly because they want to go home 
or it, should we remain uh, having that as a last resort? And many are questioning that kind of decision in a case like this, where, as you mentioned, you had megaphone chants that could be heard by the jurors. That wasn't even during deliberation. So they could have been sequestered and they still would have heard right. what was being chanted outside the courthouse. But would this have been a type of case where you, uh, in your legal hat, would have thought sequestration was something that you um, might have wanted to see? Well, I think sequestration uh, basically is a... It's a word, isn't it? No, no, it doesn't really roll off It doesn't. It doesn't. <laughs> it, it can be challenging as far as the jurors go. Uh, you you want to keep them uh, away from the watching news reports, discussing the matter with friends and family. They're instructed to do that anyway, always. But there's always that danger. So to put them up in a hotel, uh, I can understand why that could be uh, a good idea in certain cases. You always want to protect their identities, no matter what, whether they're kept in a hotel or allowed to go home. But um, some people have this idea that basically keeping them locked up in a hotel, I think for the O.J. Simpson trial, forgive me for going so far back, they kept them for several weeks, and there's a danger that they'll get antsy and want to be with their families and maybe rush to a decision just to get it over with. So there's a downside to protecting them in that. So it's a balancing act, I would think, whether the judge you know, keeps them in a hotel or lets them go home at night. So, Larry, I have to pick up on something you said that I think is very telling. You said keep them locked up in a hotel. <laughs> <laughs> well, too strong right? words. <laughs> well, is it, though? Because that's what they might feel like when they're sequestered. I mean, think about it. You are by yourself. Your your meals are, you know, you either have them with other jurors or I guess maybe they can do a room service type thing. But that is just agony to many people who are away from their families. And one thing that that raises, um, one of many actually, but one thing that raises is the likelihood that that might impact somebody's desire to serve as a juror. Um, we don't ever want anyone to do or say anything that would discourage people from wanting to fulfill their civic duty sitting as jurors. Now, we know that many people have a variety of reasons that that might be difficult. Maybe they're independently employed. Maybe they're a caretaker. Maybe they have medical issues or, or other issues that um, would prevent them from sitting uh, for so many days. But we don't want one of those reasons to be fear of doxing fear of being threatened, or God forbid, fear of being harmed for, for actually doing their job, following the law, and reaching a verdict, right? Oh, 100%. And I just wonder if the attention should be turned now against the media, or at least to examine the media. Uh, so many of them had reached a prior uh, conclusions, and there were cases, and they've been playing these uh, snippets of sound bites of the media during the trial, calling him an active shooter to kind of prejudice the whole United States, basically. I mean, this was being followed all across the country, probably around the world. And how about uh, there was a tweet that came out of the White House? I don't know who did it, uh, but they, they said that he was a, a white supremacist. And talk about prejudging the situation. So I think the focus should be turned a little, turned a little bit uh, against the media and even uh, possibly the government that are that are jumping in to these conclusions. 
You know, we did see a lot of that commentary during the course of the trial, and it really brought to light so many different issues, um, the race issue, gun control, I mean, uh, gun regulations, open carry, a lot of this. It really served as a narrative in a lot of different ways. You and I could just debate this forever, but we are going to need to fit in a quick break. So, folks, please stay with us for our second segment. You're going to meet a man who stands recognized by CNN, Fox News, Univision, and even Telemundo as America's most influential Latin Hispanic faith leader. You're listening to Today with Dr. Wendy. We'll be back in a flash. News cycle lowlights have no place here. You're listening to the headline highlights on Today with Dr. Wendy on The Answer San Diego. It's time for more news you can use. The headlines streamline. It's time for more Today with Dr. Wendy. Now here's your host, Dr. Wendy Patrick. Welcome back to Today with Dr. Wendy. I'm Wendy Patrick. Uh, my co-host, Larry Dersham, is about to introduce a very important guest. Larry, who do we have on the line with us today? Sure, Wendy. Our guest today has been described as a Christian husband, father, pastor, CEO, author, movie producer, presidential advisor, Yankee fan, and Trekkie. Now, <laughs> pastor Samuel Rodriguez is the president of the National Hispanic Christian Leadership Conference, the world's largest Hispanic Christian organization with 42,000-plus U.S. churches, plus additional churches all around the world. He's been recognized by CNN, Fox News, Univision, and Telemundo as America's most influential Latino-Hispanic faith leader. He's advised Presidents Bush, Obama, and Trump, and he's uh, senior pastor of New Season Church, which is a mega church, and it has a campus in Sacramento and another one in Los Angeles. And then in April 2020, Reverend Rodriguez was appointed to the National Coronavirus Recovery Commission. Now, Pastor Rodriguez has an amazing personal story on that that we're about to hear. It was so transforming that it actually inspired him to write a new book called Persevere with Power. So thank you for joining us today, Pastor Rodriguez. Honored to be with you. Thank you for having me. So, Pastor, I am very uh, impressed by your resume. I'm sure you hear this all the time. How could one guy have done all of this? And and such amazing feats. So it's really a pleasure to have you on. But I do have to ask, and I ask as a, a, a fellow Trekkie, so you know a little bit about my age. Um, although, in my opinion, that's a story we can just keep remaking, kind of like the Star Wars saga. But with all of your other responsibilities, and as a pastor of two mega churches, I'd love to know what led you to become a movie producer as well. Yeah, no, that, that movie producing component emerged right about 2011. Um, I, you know, as a, an evangelical pastor, in my years of immaturity, on, on multiple occasions, not with any sort of malice, but I would speak maybe on too many occasions negatively about Hollywood. And, of course, we are all cognizant of the fact that not every favorite is full of light and truth and grace and love. But instead of cursing, I, there was this pivot point in my life where I, where I met and interacted with Hollywood executives who were really interested in the faith narrative, didn't understand it, but were compelled, interested, intrigued would be the appropriate term, 
And from that moment on, I did, uh, you know, I pivoted and I began to bless the very area that one day we would occupy some, some viable spacing. That opened doors and I produced my first movie called Breakthrough about a young man who was dead for an hour and eight minutes. Verifiable uh, in recent history. Uh, resurrection story. Do your Google due diligence, please. Everyone signed off on it. The kid was dead for over an hour and came back to life. Uh, and it was faith-inspired, faith-driven. A, a, a prayerful mom intervened and interceded. Well, God did, of course, but being the conduit of her prayers. So that, that story became my first, uh, you know, shot across the bow with a movie that 20th Century Fox embraced, and it became a, a hit. And then other movies followed suit. So here we are uh, producing movies in Hollywood, movies that are full of faith and hope. And because I am a, a pastor, uh, I, I don't, you know, hide the fact that I'm committed to Jesus. So in every movie, somehow, we preach the gospel and we elevate John 14, 6 indeed. That's fantastic. Amen. Pastor, Wendy and I are both Christians. This is a talk radio show. We're not necessarily a Christian radio station, but I want to hear all of this. This is amazing. In a recent interview on the 700 Club, you described the story of how your daughter, I think her name is Yvonne, perhaps, contracted COVID-19 and nearly died in the hospital. And I know our listeners would love to hear the story and all about that truly miraculous recovery. Could you tell us a little bit about that uh, story, please? Yeah, it was it was arguably not even arguably it was definitively our most difficult chapter as a family. We we experienced COVID. Our family did, uh, and we did it as a family. <laughs> a family that goes through COVID together definitely stays together, and we did. Uh, July 2020 impacted by COVID. I was 97, 98, if not 99 percent asymptomatic. I'm I'm a runner, and I do believe because of my running regimen. Uh, my immune system was on point. Um, I had a chill, didn't have a fever, and that's about it. And I had a chill for a day. Uh, my daughter gave birth to my first granddaughter, Mila. Uh, my daughter usually has low white blood cell count, nothing that requires medication. So she's usually in her low threes, anyone who's privy to your WBC count. It should be right about four. Um, and she's in her low threes. Mila was born. Her immune system, as any woman would know, gets a little bit suppressed when you give birth. And it was a perfect storm. And uh, she ended up on a ventilator, aiming towards the other side of eternity. I would speak with the doctor, and the doctor was not assuring at all whatsoever. It got to the point. I was part of the Coronavirus Commission, right, Recovery Commission. So I was zooming in with some of the people you see on television. So I know the stats. Millennials, come on, that's point what? It's less than 1%. This would be a super anomaly. My daughter's not going to be in that super anomaly, you know, percentage point statistic and the doctor kept on saying mr rodriguez things don't look good and i kept on insisting what does that mean she's going to be here for two three four days in the hospital she went no things don't look good and then finally day two the doctor said listen to be very frank with you if she and there was an awkward pause that was it if she does not fight and that awkward pause i i got into my jeep wrangler in northern california i'm a pastor i'm a dad I'm a pastor. I'm a preacher. I, I live what I preach and preach what I live. There's continuity there. It's called integrity. To me, it's not hyper entertainment. I really believe this. I'm a faith and just called out to God. And I prayed Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 12. I said, I have no idea what to do next. Man, I've made other prayers in my life that were a lot more persuasive, articulate. I would even argue anointed. 
but a, a desperate prayer from a broken father saying, I have no idea what to do next, God, but you do. And, and then I said something really, really just outside the norms of maybe what some would seem, you know, acceptable orthodoxy. What do I mean? I said, hey, God, uh, you know, I do believe in miracles. I, I've seen too many things that, are, that can't be explained by, by science or, or even human logic or reason. Is there any possibility you can right now invade her room? Can heaven invade her room? Can angels go into her room? You've done it before. Can you do it again? I made that prayer. And without my daughter knowing where I was, California restrictive measures, not knowing where I was, not knowing what I'm praying. My daughter is in ICU by herself, no visits whatsoever, not knowing anything. This is where mathematical probability kicks in. My science mind kicks in. Um, my daughter texts us and says, and texts me and says, hey, dad, I promise it's not the meds, but heaven just invaded my room. The moment my daughter wow. verbatim, verbatim repeats what I just prayed. Now, I have a sister who's a principal in Philadelphia. Without knowing what I was praying, my sister was praying the same thing. In a matter of 24 hours prior, she was praying and saying, God, please send your angels. Yvonne needs you. So what is the mathematical probability of this actually happening? Of, of verbatim, what I just prayed. The moment I, my daughter texts me repeating what I just stated to God, then I knew God was involved. Mm. And that's the moment I went, all right, he's there. This can't happen by coincidence. I mean, just the probability of it is just way too crazy. So 24 hours later, the doctor, I speak to the doctor, doctor says, Mr. Rodriguez, I can't explain what just happened, but there's been a complete, what does that mean? She went, well, let's just say your daughter's no longer in a ventilator, but it's way beyond that. What if I tell you your daughter's now breathing completely with her own strength wow. on her own? No, no apparatus, no oxidation. She went from ventilator, skipped the two other levels, and went to breathing on her own. And then 48 hours later, the doctor says, all right. And I went, what's all right? She went, well, you know, because of COVID in California, uh, please pick her up. We need her bed. And I went, what do you mean you need her bed? Is she fine? She goes, well, she's fine enough for us to sign her off and tell her and tell you to take her home. Wow. So, you know, one oh. moment she's dying on a ventilator and you do the math and then three days, two and a half days later, actually, not even fully three days later, we're picking her up. And, and, and who does that? And that's God does that. God does that. That's so a that, miracle. That's yeah. A, that, it is a miracle. I can't deny it. Again, as a faith and science guy, I'm a Lehigh University grad. I'm a, you know, a, you know, I may preach like Kirk, but I think like Spock. So, uh, you know, I process everything. That's a miracle. And uh, we know she's doing, she's perfectly healthy. Uh, she's thriving for the Lord and just living out a great life. She, she teaches at a great private Christian school here in Northern California. So, and that prompted me to write the book, Persevere with Power. What heaven starts, hell cannot stop. You know what I love about that story is uh, the part in the middle where you note that it wasn't an eloquent prayer, it wasn't articulate or the kind of, of crafted sermon that you probably prepare uh, every week on Sunday, because we all know so many people who are afraid to pray because they don't know what to say. Your story illustrates it doesn't matter what you say. God already knows what the need is and knows it just delighted to work through any prayer you offer up. As clunky 
as it might come out. I love that story because it resonates just so, so beautifully with, with all of the rest of us. We want to thank you very much for, for joining our show. Um, what a blessing to have the, to have that story. We do also know, you know, there are many uh, wonderful people that have lost loved ones. So we certainly appreciate that for whatever reason, there are some uh, men and women who have gone to heaven and who have, um, who have been taken before their time. But my goodness, what an uplifting silver lining uh, in your life to end the show with. So thank you so much for joining us. We want to wish our listeners a wonderful, safe weekend as we get ready for some turkey next week. That's right. We'll be talking about that next week. Please join us next week for more Today with Dr. Wendy. Headlines with a silver lining. Have a great week and God bless you. Thank you for joining us for Today with Dr. Wendy. You can learn more about Dr. Wendy and how to become a guest or sponsor of the show by visiting wendypatrickphd.com. That's wendypatrickphd.com. Tune in every week at this same time as Dr. Wendy will engage and inspire you with an upbeat viewpoint on the highlights of the day. This has been Today with Dr. Wendy on The Answer San Diego. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.